Hi, this is Carrie Brownstein. This is DJ Premier. This is Darren Aronofsky. You got the Rizzo right here. Rose McGowan. Right here. Aisha Tyler. Tribe Called Quest. Fred Armisen. Fritz Paul. Javier Munoz, Seth Meyers. Frankie Cosmos. Flying Lotus. Hi, we're Haim. And you're listening to the Talk House Podcast. Ow! Hello and welcome to the Talk House Podcast. I'm Josh Modell. This week, you might need to pay special attention to this intro, as we've got three people talking instead of our usual two, and they make music under a variety of names. On one side, Nick Murphy, and on the other, brothers Stefan and David DeWale. Now, Murphy is best known for his down-tempo electronic project, Chet Faker, which is confusing because it also sounds like a guy's name, but which released one of the best albums of 2014, Built on Glass. But as you'll hear in this TalkHouse chat, Murphy put the Chet Faker name on a shelf at the height of its popularity in order to go in a more organic route under his own name. He subsequently released a pair of albums, including one initially through a meditation app, which I think is very 21st century and awesome. This year, he decided to bring the Chet Faker name and sound out of the attic, and he's just released a killer new record called Hotel Surrender. And that's where the Belgian musicians slash DJs Stefan and David Diwale come in. The two are the principal players in a band called Soul Wax, but they've made a massive second career as a DJ duo called Too Many DJs. Back in the early aughts, Too Many DJs reignited the mashup trend with a classic mix called As Heard on Radio Soul Wax Part 2. That's right, they incorporate the name of their band right in with their other lives as DJs. They also recently opened a studio called Dewey. Oh, and did I mention they're super in-demand Grammy-nominated remixers as well? They are. And they remix a song from the new Chet Faker album called Whatever Tomorrow. Here's a little bit of that remix. This intercontinental conversation, Murphy is Australian but lives in New York, the Diwali brothers are from Belgium, gets into a lot of great stuff really quickly, including the confusing but smart way both acts can diversify, how Murphy initially found the whole idea of EDM distasteful, and a little something called space bar energy. I won't tell you what that is, but I'll say that you probably want your songs to have it. Enjoy. I saw you guys play with the band fucking years ago, man. 2006 in Parklife. Um, yeah, yeah. Which was... yeah. Oh, fucking amazing i was doing drugs and getting really <laughs> fucked up <laughs> i think you guys did a like uh lovers in the air cover when in rome yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i was totally vibing out to that one actually the two guys who produced and wrote that song for what was his name john paul young yeah two guys i mean you must know they're, they're called harry vander and i guess george young and the, he's the older brother of the two of ACDC, angus, uh, angus and malcolm he's a dutch guy who moved to sydney I think. But uh, we've had this insane obsession with Harry Vanda and George Young because in a weird time period, they produced and wrote Love is in the Air, the first two, three albums, um, uh, the ACDC records, which are probably some of the best rock albums ever made, had a band called Flash in the Pan, which we still think is one of the most amazing synth, weird bands, pop bands in the world. And it all happened in Australia at the same time. And it's this guy has been an enigma for us. And we've we were always asking a path for modular and everyone like, hey, can we meet Harry Vandek? <laughs> but but that th- this is where I'm, I'm trying to get to is when when we were there for Parklife, like around that time too. I must maybe not exactly that year because we for like a five or six year period we came every year. Yeah 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 yeah. It was a vibe. 
but around that time there was a person yeah. that we knew who yeah. was going to introduce us to Harry Vander. Yeah. And uh, and it never happened and we still regret it. Yeah. Oh, that's fucked up. So are you Melbourne or are you Sydney? I'm Melbourne, yeah. We're a little more cultured than the the Sydney branch. We like to think we are anyway. We have good friends in Melbourne. It would always be on the on the tour if we would do uh, Australia, we would always end up a couple of days in Melbourne and hang out with our friends there and yeah, it's amazing. We love it so much. It's really cool. I've been in New York for the past eight years, though, so I haven't lived there for a while. And Do you why? miss it? I mean, I miss my family and my friends for sure, but you know, I kind of fell in love with New York eight years ago, and the gravity just kind of keeps me here. I'm in New York at the moment in my little basement. Did you fall in love with New York, or did you fall in love with someone in New York? No, no, New York. No, I've been single for eight years, actually. <laughs> so definitely, <laughs> definitely the city. <laughs> but... But yeah, no, Melbourne's amazing. But I think once I started touring, you know, around the world, you can't do weekend shows from Australia because yeah, no, it's, it's true. two yeah. days in a plane. So I did that for about a year and I was like, this is not going to work. And it just doesn't make sense to get paid for a one hour set and fly for two entire days and be jet lagged for a week. <laughs> you know, it's just not good business. <laughs> but yeah, that was fucking cool. You get that live show that I saw you guys play back then was one of the first live shows I'd ever seen. It was kind of a thing back then in the, I don't know what were the two thousand, the mid two thousands, but that perfectly blended the, it was like dance music, but it was also live. It was the only time I'd seen a drummer playing to, you know, I guess house or dance music that didn't just feel like you just smacked a drummer on top, but also didn't feel like you'd sacrifice the drum sound to have a drummer playing it live. Thank you. I think that's what our aim was. Which leads me to my next question. How? <laughs> <laughs> what, what exactly how? Were you using triggers on the drums there? Or did you just get the drum sound so fucking dialed in live? For like a few months, we tried with triggers just to get a bigger kick sound. But a lot of electronic music, when you see it live, it's just a you know guy behind a laptop and you don't really know what he's doing. Is that person checking their email or you, you can't really tell. And so what's the most visceral thing to see live is someone yeah. playing the drums. Like you can't really, you know, and also the guy, he's our friend who was then playing drums for us. He was such a sort of like an animal. He was like an animal playing. At least they work. So we didn't want him to be in the back. So we put Steve in the front. But I do remember the first time we went to New York to, to actually to DJ, we, um, we were hanging out with Murphy, with James from LCD. Uh -huh. And I guess the question that, your question from how do you do that? It's actually a little bit, I felt like we were both James, Dave and me on a sort of a quest to try and get the same feeling that you had from rock drums or like uh, indie band drums, like uh, what we are, we were like an indie band to have that incorporated into like electronics. And like Dave said, it's sort of a visceral thing to look at, but also have it be in front of the stage and then have it be the focus, like the starting point for everything else. And I guess the way that you play then for a drummer, Steve, in the beginning, was it's kind of hard because he was trying to do very complicated things. And you were like, no, 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 no. It has to be on the groove. You know, this is like DJing, you know? Drummers is a, is a very particular thing that I think Dave and me are very picky on. Mm. And then when we, we started playing again live a couple of years ago, we ended up having three drummers. And we, because uh, <laughs> we wanted to see what it was like if you had three mm -hmm. of them in the front. <laughs> but now we're playing with Igor from Sepultura and it's like... It's so weird to ask a guy like that to go like, no, no, man, just stay in the groove. You know? yeah. <laughs> I have, I played the last couple of years with my drummer, Robbie, and I, I would have to pay him off with pockets of like, go nuts. 
you know, don't do anything like, okay, now just let it all out, you know? Yeah, yeah. We would find with Steve, our old drummer, like we would know when to say something to him during the set or to do something that would annoy him in order for him to go up a notch. That was a fun era in, it's hard to explain, but it was sort of new to the world, but it was also new to us. So like we were discovering it with the world. It was a fun thing that we did sort of to death all over the world. But while we were doing it, it was incredibly intense, but it was very fun because the intention was to sort of, to be able to do sort of like what you saw at Park Life, which is you'd play in front of a big crowd, but also go into a club where like a DJ was playing before and after. And if you're just on the dance floor and you don't look up, you shouldn't have noticed that there was a band playing. It should have been something that could have continually, you know, uh, go on. And we did that many, many times and it worked. I saw it. I was as, you know, I don't know how many people go, but I was like, yeah, that's, they just did that thing. And then I ha I've barely seen it since. Some people try, but, and I've definitely tried a little bit, but, you know, I don't have a lot of dancey stuff, but it's this, it's such a ebb and flow. And then of course, I mean, this was, you guys were doing it a lot before me, but then EDM came in, you know, mm. and it just, it's like the bar was just completely dropped and yeah. I'm here, I'm here with like a band and, you know, we were doing like uh, improvised breakdowns and like some of my players were like jazz cats and we're doing weird shit. And then I'd be followed by some like backwards cap, like jock DJ, you know, who's like, oh, and everyone's like, oh my God, losing their mind. And I'm like, well, what am I even doing this for? For a few years, I was like, my goal was really to like what you were saying is to match that intensity. Because, yeah, you can't drop the quality of the audio for that. You can let things breathe. And um, mm. and that's, it's very hard if everyone is uh, sort of um, noodling and trying to get their thing in. So And that's why the emphasis on the on the drums was so heavy on us. Because even if all of our gear stopped working or... Which we had a couple of times because we were using Ableton. I've had that too. <laughs> did a show in there in Italy and... The, it's just crashed because because of the vibration. So the yeah. our laptop would would completely go wrong and stuff like that. And I was looking at Steve Jones was like just keep going. And he just kept going. And I had some cowbells and somewhere and we were playing. And like we have to do this for like nine minutes. Looking at like somebody fixing this. So and where are you gonna drop it? Yeah, yeah. We yeah. died a couple of times, but yeah, in our minds <laughs> we died, but we didn't. Like crowds kept dancing. Why? Because yeah. they kept because the they're on drugs. Kept going. Well, yeah, yeah. That was the, of course this Italian <laughs> drugs, but. But the, but the drummer is sort of the reason why they could keep going. And that's, you know, ultimately, um, you know, you, you talk of EDM, like, I mean, quite often that's sort of all there is, is sort of rhythmic and, uh, and, and it works, you know, like that, that's Steph talked about dumbing down, but that's, that is sort of a thing that we, we have consciously did is like, we, we sort of dumbed it down so that it, it would work. Cause we're um, stupid, man. It, 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 like it has to work like at a wedding and at a fashion party and at a festival and in a dance club. So Ooh, I like that. Yeah, it can't be too niche. And for a period of maybe six, seven years, that's sort of all we did. So, cause with the, all the new music you're making, are you about to go play live again? Yesterday I had my first call about, you know, looking at blocks of time and being like, oh, that's too hectic and bus tours and shit like that. Because, you know, I, I haven't really done the Chet Faker thing for like six years. I, I mean, honestly, it was because of this EDM wave came in, which I was loosely associated with. And I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, but I just immediately knew I didn't want anything to do with it. Like from the get go, I was like, I don't this you know I don't want this you know what I mean I had this respect for the history of dance music and house and techno and all of that and just the name 
EDM was kind of offensive to me. This like <laughs> electronic dance music. It's like, what the, what are you talking about, America? <laughs> you created, you know, house and techno, like, and it, I was just like, this is stupid. So I went off and started doing the, the Nick Murphy stuff. And it was a lot of guitar and really live, like we're talking about for the past six years. It was kind of a reaction to that world that you were seeing around you. I, I just didn't want to go down that way. It just seemed silly. And it got so big so fast. And in my experience, anything that blows up that quick just like dies in the ass really fast. And, you know, it's not like I was anti it. Like I certainly played EDM festivals and shit, but I wanted to lean in the opposite direction a bit. And it feels like maybe everyone's taking a breath now and they're maybe listening a bit more. That's definitely something that's made me feel a bit more comfortable about like bringing this stuff back. Be careful what you wish for though. There could yeah. be some mega boost EDM coming up. Yeah, let's see. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. But yeah, so now I'm kind of like planning this tour, but I'm trying to figure out sort of what I'm going to do with the with this project because I'm going to have them both at the same time, which... Oh, okay. Yeah, they're kind of like separate projects. Could it be the same band, but you, you do different... I'm more thinking of it as a way where it's like the Nick Murphy stuff. And I have another project coming out later this year, which is Nick Murphy and the Program, which is... It's kind of taking the old school concept of like a Grateful Dead type attitude where it's like the band changes, but it's always a band of players. And we go into a studio and we record takes, you know, maybe a few overdubs, but I'm not gluing shit together. It's like that take seven was it, you know, like all the greats did back in the day, because now we have this, you know, this new wave of doing it. And that's what I look at as kind of the Chet Faker thing is, is the new way of painting and sculpting with sounds and shit, you know. And then in terms of the performance, I don't really know. I mean, part, I'm kind of thinking with the Chet thing, it's just like what I like to call like space bar energy, which is if you when you press the space bar, it just feels good straight away. By the way, that's an amazing title for an album. Space bar energy. Space yeah. bar energy by Internet Sensation. You guys can have that. <laughs> space bar energy, because it's like, you know, when you're going through your demos with like some friends or whatever, and they're like, what the fuck is that? And you're like, you're like, ah, oh, it's nothing. It's nothing, you know. And they're like, it's not nothing. It has space bar energy. But yeah, the Chet thing. I don't know. I kind of see it as like pretty minimal. Like not too dissimilar. Like with the drums, it would be the first choice, obviously. And then maybe some like BVs or singers. But the rest, I think, I'm just gonna like play keys and let the track or the synths do whatever, and just kind of sing the stuff. But then on the the NM side, it's you know really let the players have their moment. Could you imagine them playing? like uh, at the same time so you could be booked at a festival both as chat yeah and, no yeah. ideally that's it yeah they definitely present two totally different approaches to live music that i felt like i was trying to squish under one umbrella for for the past six years i was like trying to both present what actually performing means and, and looks like but then also especially with some of my fans, you know, I, I essentially write pop songs. They're like kind of weird, but they're pop songs, especially being a singer. What, like the second you sing, there's a certain type of humans who don't hear anything apart from voices that show up to shows who are just like sing, you know, and you could, you could do the best instrumental ever and they, they don't hear anything. They're like, this isn't the song, you know, <laughs> and trying to like balance those two is a lot. That's kind of what the split would be like. If I was at a festival, I'd probably go and watch the Nick Murphy show because I wanted <laughs> to see some like cats do some weird shit and experiment and do their 10 minute like solo, you know, and stuff like that. But versus the Chet thing, I think would be like, hey, let's go see some like 
I'm almost adopting that EDM hip hop attitude a bit, but with a, you know, hopefully a little more flavor to it. Maybe the counter argument is that people say like, yes, they see the difference between all the projects, but the money they're paying for the tickets is to come and see you. So whether that is Chef Fake or Nick Murphy or any other thing, or in our case, too many DJs or- Or um, your new band, Space Bar Energy. Yeah. yeah. Um, By the like, way, great name. That, like, okay. <laughs> no, really, I'm not making fun of it. It's okay. really good. So people's argument is that is like they're, they're coming to see you anyway. Yeah. It doesn't really matter which yeah. project it is. Well, it's hard to tell because people always complain no matter what happens, right? So you don't actually know what is and isn't important. But and I think of it as like, you know, Coca-Cola owns Sprite, right? Why don't they just call it Coke? Ah, interesting. You know, it's a different flavor. It's like, you don't get mad about it. It's like- It's true. It's true. Food for thought. <laughs> wow. I'm on a completely different trip now. <laughs> yeah. Part of, at least for me, that what you just said is like, why can't it all live under the same name? That was kind of my original intention with shifting to my birth name. It was like, cool. You know, like a, a, an artist approach is they have their name and then it's just all their shit they do. But- I really think the consumption of music has become so noisy that to present something that isn't singular, it actually does a disservice to the music and there's less space for people to figure shit out. So it's, you have to have it kind of really clear from the get go. And I think that's why more and more people are doing what you guys have already been doing. I even see like, even with like basically anyone under the age of 30 on Instagram has like a Finsta, they have like, there's already these multiple personalities in, in the digital era that's normal. They don't have to explain it. I feel like there's this weird reaction to the digital infinite realm where people are creating versions of themselves. You know, we're becoming more than one. I guess when I asked why can't both of them be together, something that people ask even me always. In our case, when we were the band Solwax or we were too many DJs, we would be like, hey, how about we do Radio Solwax? It's just... Dave and me a whole night and we'll play some music and we'll DJ for you and we'll bring some friends along and maybe we play together and you put it all on the one. What they do is they feed off, off, off each other. So when we do say we remix your track or we do soul wax track or whatever we're doing now, or we with the band or with something else that always results into something else for that other thing. And so we desperately need it because we'd be really shit at doing one of them. Because we'd be bored after a little bit. Yeah, it's like bouncing off of each other. Yes. And to go back to the EDM thing, because we lived in a, a little bit in a similar world where people like we, we'd be playing the main stage at Tomorrowland and we'd be looking around as we like, we are so not in this world. This is not our thing. <laughs> but it's something where you start, oh, but wait, how about we try and see if we can play Slayer or sneak in this and stuff and you start having fun with all these worlds because you're not dependent upon it you have other things and even if it's for 50 people or like a thousand it's it's different i don't know about you guys but we, in terms of you know i have like thousands of demos and sometimes the ones with the most space bar energy are the ones that i call them brick walls i actually have a folder called brick walls and i put songs in there you mean like you don't know, like where, you to don't go know where to go with it it's just like yeah it's just feel i've reached this kind of thing i'm like no idea yeah i know it too well and I'm like, I just hear that demo forever if I think of that song, you know? And do you ask somebody else sometimes to help you out with it? I'm so bad at working with other people. We understand. Yeah. <laughs> but we have each other. We have to which is Yeah. I know. I'm kind of jealous. You know, actually, when I was 17, I sat my brother down, who's a year and a half younger than me. 
and I'd written up this contract, this teenager contract. And I, I sat it down and I said, I was like, hey, Oscar, uh, when I get older, I'm going to be a famous musician. <laughs> and, uh, and I'm like, here's a contract saying, if you learn how to play bass, we're going to tour the world together. We're going to play in my band. That's amazing. <laughs> and why, why did you choose bass? I don't know. I just thought that bass was like the, in my mind, I was like, that's definitely the one thing I'm going to have. And I feel like is just like a fucking great instrument. You know, what did Oscar say? He thought I was a psycho. He was like, this guy's an idiot. He hasn't finished school yet. He thinks he's going to be a rock star. He's writing up some handwritten contract. What does Oscar think now? Yeah. What does he do now? He has his PhD in clinical neuropsychology. Uh, <laughs> oh, there you go. He trumped you. <laughs> he's doing really well. He's doing better than me, actually. <laughs> with the brick wall stuff are you the kind of person who listens to their own demos a lot i have a few rules with demos one i never bounce demos with vocals in it unless it's the finished vocal i mute them and so i always have to hear it in my head or sing along because every time i'll add a little nuance or something and it gets so refined and also i'm open to singing something different and then i try to only keep demos on my like work computer so i'm not like listening to them too much for pleasure without being in arm's reach of like oh let's do this you know spacebar energy happens when you are on the work computer and you're playing it to your friends and the work computer is there yeah usually exactly i have like just heaps of playlists and i'll have a word like spacebar energy or hotel surrender which is the new album and just these like lines or phrases that feel like a space or a world And I'll throw demos into something like one song might be in three different folders, like potential bodies of work. And then they'll just slowly populate and fill up. And until eventually one of those folders or bodies of work, it's like, oh, I can see the framework. And then I'll have on the side in the description notes. And I just fill that shit up with stuff that I never do or sometimes might do. And for each note, I give myself a couple of forward dashes, depending on how hard I think it is. So by the end of a track, <laughs> if there's heaps of dashes, it's like, yeah, you worked hard for that. It's like a video game, you know, and that is like, I'm like level 52 or whatever at that song. So there's this like, so you don't put heaps of work into a song and feel like you're not getting anywhere. You have a kind of progress bar. And like, for example, on, on this album, how many songs are left out? A fucking lot. And weirdly enough, I still use the Hotel Surrender folder, even though the album's done another one because it still represents like a style for me or an attitude. So I'm still writing Hotel Surrender songs, say, you know, like that. But I have 143 songs left over. What? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know how you guys work, but like I, I get a little emptied out after a while of inspo and touring usually fixes that. But this past year, it wasn't the things. It's interesting that you mentioned that because while you were talking about your uh, work, not eth ethic, but just the system, how you work, is that I think one thing that we talked about earlier, which is to have all these different projects, I guess, that's how we keep it fresh. We're a bit too far down the other extreme. We have way too many other things to be able to focus no, on. We, we don't have any folder. Yeah, we, so we have nothing. For instance, people always ask because they go like, they call us up to like, because you guys must have like, like you've got like your brick wall folder or like demos folder. We have zero because... It kind of feels with Dave and me, we start on a thing. And because we're two, the minute we go, uh, no, it's not good. We just go delete away. Wait, wait, wait. What do you mean by delete? As in delete. stop. 
it's gone yeah yeah yeah, yeah. or it might, it might be on some hard drive somewhere yeah but, but not even Holy not even shit. because we wouldn't go there i wish i could do that i have kind of the polar opposite approach to that which is within reason if something is spiritually hurting me like it feels painful I'll, i'm like next right but if something i'm vibing with but i don't like it i'll still follow it through so like i might be writing like the cheesy and not fun cheese like bad 14 year old just learned his first chords song but I, if i'm my, but my heart might be feeling it and i'm like this is so lame but <laughs> if it, when i play it it feels good and i'm like i have to follow that through to get to the next thing sometimes you work on an idea you have a scent or you go we, we i mean one we don't we rarely do that anymore that kind of you know like play around sometimes but if we do we kind of push it into how can i say we push ourselves to actually use it for something or, or it has to be instantly used. We built, like the building we're in now, we built this place. Yeah, yeah. No, I know about it. It's fucking insane. And since then, our work has sort of been, well, functional is not the right word, but like we have a purpose. We have a deadline. We set ourselves, like we're going to make a Solwax uh, song and it's miss. being mastered next week. Well then, you know, if it's being mastered on Friday, on Thursday, we just have to make sure that we have something yeah, yeah. that we like. Do you book the mastering ahead? Yes. Like, is that yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's smart. I got to try that. That's good. Yeah. I got to try that. And so we, we set ourselves a goal. Like we have to reach this, of course. But it, that drives people crazy because Dave and me have this, like, let's say you have a mastering on a Thursday. Yeah. Mm. Probably with, with the remix I did for you, it's probably the same thing. I'm pretty sure our management would have been like, when is the mastering date? And then they would have told us, like, it's on the Thursday. And then if they would have sat here on, I'm pretty sure on the Monday, we probably would have walked in and gone, hey, Dave, have you seen this documentary? And I would put it on. I would just watch a little bit. And everyone around us would be like, guys, you need to finish this thing off. And we have this weird thing where we're like, yeah, we'll get it done. We'll do it. We'll do it. But you can't rush it. It's cheesy, but it's the inner child. Or it's like a bird or something, right? Like you can build a birdhouse, but it doesn't guarantee the bird will show up, you know? So sometimes you got to kind of wait a little bit. Sometimes it might not always show and you might move on and build another birdhouse or whatever, but like the quality may or may not come. But it, I really get that like waiting thing. I think we've learned this from working before because we did an album with Flood and we've been very lucky. We worked with Sardi, Flood and with Chris Goss. And all three of them kind of were really good at showing to us if we would sit down and stress about it, you know, like, oh my God, I need to do, I need to come up with something. It would never work. So you have to create kind of an environment for yourself or something where, and I think this building was kind of like our way of doing that. So if it doesn't happen here, maybe you go upstairs, have a coffee and see something on TV or hear a record or I don't know. Like, yeah, look, yes. at, look at a book. Or look I mean, at something ultimately, else. it comes down to distraction. Um, yeah. Steph and I, we've been talking about this during the pandemic a, uh, a lot, is that I really miss traveling. Steph doesn't so much. But one part of the... <laughs> Dave really misses that part. And for more about 20 years of our lives, a part of that creative process was the dull moments during travel, which we've now haven't had for, you know, uh, during the pandemic. And we sort of try to do the same thing with other stuff. Like, you know, you, we're still in here every day and we have a shitload of other projects that we have to get finished. But sometimes, I mean, we just did it today. Like we're working on something, but we would actually <laughs> working on three other things. I've noticed with Dave and me as well, we've learned that when you make something, listening to other people's ears is actually the one that also we've been able to do without actually having people around. So we're capable of going into that process of, 
all right, if we would play this for someone else who has no context, who does no idea how this is made or anything like this, what would the perception be? Or what are the things that would turn them off or anything like that? Is that something that you fear or you or you're already working like you already have in your head when you I think I'm doing that more and more for sure. And it's I, I'd say it's kind of new for me a little bit. Because I think in the beginning it was like probably my ego was out to just like please itself a bit. You know, it was gonna be the coolest and whatever. But now it's like I have certain people in my life that I become in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's the thing. Like my mom and my brother. Oscar. Oscar. Yeah, Oscar, exactly. Oscar, shout out Oscar. Who's doing well now? Yeah, he's doing well. Yep. Who's actually doing like stuff that's important for the world yeah that's right exactly i have this like thing that i like this little phrase that i coined is like active listening and passive listening and say like you or i we can active listen and that's what a musician or a creative or whatever they have the active listening which is where you can hear the pieces the bass came in here oh wow the hats are really like whatever you know versus the majority of people they have what's called passive listening which is just an impression. It's just a wave of one block of sound, you know? And I think that's, I mean, that's what you're talking about. Well, for us, the goal is to be able to listen passively. That's what we try every day. It's like to forget the active yeah. stuff so that, it, you know, you, you know what you're going to feel, I guess. It's not an easy thing to achieve. The way we, we try to achieve it is by exactly what I said today. Like we have a, we have a deadline that we've already missed. We should have been working on it since this morning, but we spent half a day. Yeah, sorry, guys. No, 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 no. no. That's not what is, I meant. No, no, what no, what no, I meant no, I'm is kidding, I'm kidding. we should have been working on it since this morning, but we did like four or five other things. Maybe we shouldn't mention what we're working on. No, no, we shouldn't. But, <laughs> we're going to get into trouble. But, um, but, but <laughs> they we, will be like, hey, wait. But you try to distract <laughs> yourself just because when you come back yeah. to it, you are listening passively. I remember coming back from a tour and like, something that I was most excited about. I'm like, this is trash. This is absolute <laughs> garbage. But then something I kind of just did at the last second, I'm like, this is fucking amazing. You know, yeah. Yeah. And it's like completely done. But you, you can get so lost in the weeds a little bit. And also going on tour is also a great, with Solwax, before we started DJing, we would have to work on an album, then you have to wait six months, then it would come out, then you'd have to play the, like this whole like machine, that was super slow and felt heavy. I hate that delay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Heavy. And, and also we were bored out of our heads. And then I remember when we started doing mixes, you would see that we could make something. We'd put it on the internet. Somebody would have taken it. They would have played it on Radio 1. And all of a sudden, everyone around you was talking about something we did like three or four days before. And so when we started doing remixes as well, we would do a remix. We would take it with us. On the Saturday, we would play it out and we would instantly see how people would react to it. That's one of the great things I think about the dance community is you can throw new shit at them. Yeah, 100%, yeah. That's why it's so exciting. Yeah, it's like I, I like in DJ sets of stuff as well. I remember playing like unreleased stuff at, at like proper, you know, live shows with fans and they were just like, no, nah, <laughs> we don't know this song. We don't know this song, you know, why? You, but then if I DJ, they're like, fuck yeah, you know. We put out a lot we, and quickly, but we do have to wait and it annoys us infinitely. It's the same, it's been killing me my whole fucking career. Like I'm like, yeah. there must be a better way. You're always up against, for lack of a better word, the machine outside. Yeah. which will always tell you like, yeah, but you know, we need a time to put it to the audience. And you're always like, you're like, yeah, but I'm already six, seven songs further. I mean, I'm not even in that space anymore. I didn't write anything for the past five months, which is the longest not writing time I've ever had because 
I didn't want to move on from this record by the time it came out because I really enjoyed this record making it and I want to be in sync with the fans when it comes out, but it's, I'm already moving on. I don't know if this helps, but usually once you start not liking the stuff that you've put out, it's a great impetus to make new stuff. Yeah. Like once, once you're like, oh, this shit that I thought was amazing at the time, now that I think it's not so good anymore, that's a good impetus to start. It's a real shame because you just like, and it, because then I have like friends and be like, they'll call me up with it. Fuck, Nick, this song is fucking crazy. And you're like, yeah, yeah, I guess, whatever. You know, be like, ah, you're like, no, nah, you should hear this new thing. And they're like, nah, man. You've completely moved on to another thing. The drums on that, you know. <laughs> yeah, we get it. We, we totally understand. Like this year, we worked on a lot of different things because like for the first time in our lives, we were in the studio all the time. So we would do soundtracks of other things. And and then people would come up to us saying, like, oh, my God, I heard this thing. We're like, wait, when did we do this? And we're like, oh, yeah, nine months ago. <laughs> you're like, In fact, I think your remix, I think we did it really early. Yeah, yeah it was a quick turnaround. I remember a sunny day and I was skateboarding around the city, banging it in headphones, just being like, this is a total vibe. And then what? It just came out last week. Or yeah. like... <laughs> exactly. And what like, is we that? had to listen back to it. We were listening. We were like, it's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's hot. It's a hot remix. Do you know why it took so long? Is it because they wanted to wait for the pandemic to end? or? Uh, I think it was just like rollout for the record. Also, it's a bit different because I'm essentially relaunching Chet Faker. So this time I'm probably like paying a little bit more attention. More albums are just like, fuck it, here you go. You know, I wanted to put all this shit out last year because I really felt like the world was hurting and for the first time, I felt like maybe I could actually help people <laughs> with what I do. Maybe in a naive way, I think it would have worked as well, I think. I think so. It's definitely something that we felt, well, we felt here in our studio because we work with a lot of other artists. And there was definitely this pressure from them also from like, oh, we need to create now because we're at home. And we kind of said like, you know what, you don't need to do that. And I kind of felt like once you take away that pressure, everyone started writing and it was very cathartic for a lot of people. A lot of people are listening to music now, you know, in very different ways. Yeah, I, I read somewhere it's like more people discovered new artists last. It was like up some huge amount of people listening to new artists last year. I guess there's positives. And I mean, we're definitely we're not making the best business moves here. But I mean, but sometimes that is the best. I know, I know. But are really good at losing money. We are. I'm getting better at that. And I'm <laughs> finding that, that it, it makes you more money. You know, like you can't. This is not a conservative business. No, no, it's true. Who the fuck goes, let me be a musician so I can accrue capital? No one. You know, like go and study the stock market. Or so. And really, I think like the kind of social contract of what we do is we're essentially selling a philosophy to other people. It's like, hey, look, look what it looks like when you just do the shit that you think about. We sometimes call ourselves naive romantics because we've always felt like when something is musically really good or it, or it comes from an authentic place, it always has a path. It always creates a path. It opens a door. I agree. It does a thing. And and like we said, if it's 50, 1,000, 100,000 people, whatever that is, that kind of fulfills you as an artist. And if you can, like you say, if you can uh, leave your ego sometimes a little bit on the on the side and you appreciate that for what it is, then you're more grateful for the 100,000 and for the 50 and for whatever it comes around. That's definitely been a lesson for me for the past, like whatever, since I started is, especially because I used to like deny my cheesy shit. I'm already cheesy to begin with, right? <laughs> like mu musically, you know, I'm not a cheesy guy day to day, but like once, once I start playing, it's like, whoa, it's a little wafty. 
but I was trying to shut it down for a long time. I think it's when you try to be something that you are not. That's when I think a lot of pop culture becomes contrived or it doesn't work or it doesn't feel. Yeah, th- th- yeah. There's so much music out there that to us, I mean, we talk about it quite often is that like, it's good, it, it works, but I don't believe them. And I think quite often, like what you're saying is like when people can reach to that side that's inside them, whether it's cheesy or complex or whatever it is, but as, as, as long as it feels honest, then that's usually what makes us go, oh, that's interesting. That's, yeah, yeah. it's not really about the sort of the parameters that are set out by by everyone is like, oh, it has to be you know, cool or has to be trendy or has to be complicated or has to be musically. I think what we are looking for a lot in, in music is, well, honesty is not the right word, but like some kind of... Authenticity. Um, yeah, yeah. Like, who is that person? What are they saying? It doesn't have to be like, I am that person, but like it, just seeing someone, it can even be instrumental, like someone just playing something. If once you see like, okay, I believe this, I, I and this person, they're not hiding behind something. A friend just sent me a song the other, the other night, which I won't say who it was, but he was like, what do you think of this song? And I was like, it's technically amazing. Like, it's just everything ticks the box. But like, I don't see the person. I feel like they're just telling me what I want to hear. It's like a deficiency a little bit that people are starved for it, which is why when they hear it, they're like, oh, ah, like, yeah. ah, like, thank God someone's being honest with me. When it comes from a true place, then the whole system goes, wait, everyone likes Nirvana? I think it's when these things happen and it's not only on, on music, but it, it's when these things kind of defeat the norm or defeat the, the algorithm, maybe it's the better way to say it. And it kind of becomes a thing. And I, and I kind of feel like a lot of young people now are looking for that because their lives is controlled very rigorously. And so when music goes out of that or art or anything like that, it just feels for them like, oh my God, it's like a, that's super powerful. It's like a slap. It's like just break the virtual bullshit for a second. Yeah. We're kind of so in this matrix that it's almost anything that can break us out of it is good. Well, yeah. challenging is, is the thing is like when we were kids, when we were like really kids. A long, long time yeah, a long, long ago. Time ago <laughs> um, there was like a four or five year period where Prince would release like a record every year. And it, he really like took us from sort of like parade around the world in a day. Uh, Sunday Sunday times, times. and each time you like there's about just a little bit more than a year and each time you would then become accustomed to this whole new sound and this whole new persona and be like okay finally I, i'm into this now i get it i get and it then and he then completely he, drop like you'd be like oh wait ah. a whole new thing and you would hate the first week to be like what the, i don't i don't want this I don't want this paisley shit. I don't want any yeah, psychedelic. Yeah, yeah. Like, but then it's like, whoa, this is amazing. And and that's ultimately, you know, uh, Beatles or Beastie Boys, like er, like great people try to push you. Bowie, like yeah, yeah, any anyone, yeah, it's been going forever. Bowie did it. Like even even Radiohead's Kid A, everyone was like, fuck this shit. No, hundred percent, hundred percent. You know, it's like, and so it's at least I'm beginning to personally notice. Anytime people get kind of mad with me, I think I'm actually hitting a good spot. No, you are. I find if I don't put something out for months, I stop getting the drive to make new stuff. That's my issue. It's like I need to share stuff. And sometimes I'm I'm still always looking for ways. And that's why having the two projects is helping. And then when this new one comes out, because there's different kind of pressure on each, like say for like the Nick Murphy stuff, I could just do a single take on a piano and really just make the lyrics up. And if there's kind of a vibe, I just put that out there, you know, but I would never do that with the, the Chet stuff. You know, I certainly look at you guys with how much you put stuff out. And I'm like, I want that in my life. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you should do is you should book mastering dates. I know. I seriously fucking, I'm going to do that. Really helps. Really helps.
Thanks for listening to the Talk House podcast, and thanks to Nick, Stefan, and David for chatting. Check out their various guises. You won't be disappointed. This week's episode was produced by Melissa Kaplan, and special thanks to Keenan Cush for stepping in to record it. The Talk House theme is composed and performed by The Range. Follow us on all your favorite social channels and podcast services, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Thanks.